much the last part of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Do you remember sometime in November we started Philippians? Do you kind of remember that? That was 18, November 18. And we haven't finished it, but today we're going to finish Philippians. And we're going to combine it with just thinking something about the heart of God for, um, for people, for pastoral care. Uh, although the word leader is not mentioned in this passage, you just see in the heart of Paul one of God's leaders, one of God's shepherds. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for the word of God which is powerful and is able to transform us. Just ask you, Holy Spirit, to go beyond me and, and just take the word as it is and just let it work in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this talk is I Can Through Christ or Through Christ I Can. Maybe I could just start you there. Could you just say that with me? Through Christ I Can. The emphasis is on the first bit and the second bit. Through Christ I Can. And we'll fill in the dots what the I can is. So, I'm going to read the passage, 4 to 23. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What had happened was they'd sent a gift uh, through Epaphroditus to Paul who was in prison. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send you greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So, I'm learning as I get older. I've got three points. Tell people you've got three points. My first point is really about the letter as a whole. And it's about the centrality of Jesus. And the goal of all ministry, pastoral ministry, teaching ministry, in fact, the definition of ministry in, in the Lord, in, the, in Christian faith, 
is to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to disclose him, to reveal him. And it's not just to point to him, but it's to help people access him, to partake in him, to know him and to know who they are in him, which is the point of our living free course, really. It's, it's kind of knowing him and knowing who you are in him. It's about your identity in him. And throughout this, Paul, this letter, Paul has been modeling Jesus, hasn't he? He's just been kind of revealing Jesus in his life. He said these incredible words, what you've learned or what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've received in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So he was kind of modeling a life in the spirit. He was modeling a life walking with Jesus and he was saying, as I'm modeling it to you, that's I want you to live that out. And there's a real sense, I think, that, that, that in ministry we are to each other. Um, you know, there's a grace that covers us. But we're modeling a kind of a pursuit of God. And we're modeling uh, keeping Jesus central. We don't always get it right. But there's something that's so important that church is an encouragement to each other. And uh, we're kind of modeling what it is to be a father, what it is to be a mother, what it is to be a brother and a sister. Uh, And that's so important. And throughout this letter, Paul has been saying, look at Jesus. And he starts off by saying, you know, those simple words that he that's begun the good work in you was going to finish it. He's a starter finisher kind of God. Does anyone remember that talk? (laughs) He's a starter finisher kind of God. And he's talking about the death sentence over his life. Do you remember that one? And he said, you know, for me, living is about Jesus. For me to live is Christ. And to die, that's gain. But I'm going to stay because that means kind of working with you and, 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 uh, and ministering with you and being with you. And, and then he says, you know, he says, let the mind that was in Christ be in you. And the way that Jesus emptied himself uh, and um, didn't kind of put his own interests first, but 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 glorified God, and, and then God glorified him and uh, how he trusted God. And he goes on to say, hold on to the word of Christ because you're like light shining in the world. And it just gets richer and richer, this letter, doesn't it? You almost get drunk telling you it. And he, says, he just says, you know, for me to lose everything is gain. You know, I was... Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was top of the class. But I couldn't find Christ like that. But just the way that Christ laid down everything and lost everything that he might gain uh, us and the Father's glory, he said, I'm counting everything to be lost that I might gain Christ. I might be found in him. Having a righteousness that's not my own but comes through faith in God. And everything is lost in compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. And he says, I want to know him. So right in the cry of this letter, you get this, the, 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 the Paul um, who's modeling leadership, who's modeling uh, being a shepherd. He says, I want to know him. And you might say, I want to know him more because obviously he knew him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But I want to know the fellowship of 
what it was that he went through. And I want to become like him, even in his death. I want to press on to know him. So Paul is just kind of, what's he modeling? He's modeling a pursuit of Jesus, isn't he? And he's towards, we think, the end of his life, but he's just pursuing him. He just says, I don't think I've got there yet, folks. I don't think I've attained it yet, but I am just pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm going for it. And that's what it is to model something, isn't it? That's what it is to be in leadership. It's not telling who to do what when. It's about It's about that hunger and pursuit and wanting that to rub off on other people. And he says, I, I'm, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that which God has laid hold of me for. I'm, I'm not turning back. I'm not turning around. I'm pressing on. What has God got for me? So in his life, Paul is saying that Jesus is central. It's living. To know him is everything, and to not to know him is, is loss. That's great teaching, isn't it? That's a great call to have on your life, and that's the goal of church leadership. Bam. <laughs> you want to know the goal of church leadership? It's to know Jesus more. Everybody knowing Jesus. Bam. Got it? Yeah. Does it change? No. You can have the smartest, best, most... And I like this, by the way. Don't think I'm knocking this. You can have the most organized, <laughs> blessed thing out. I'm not knocking that. Not knocking it. But you've got to have that taste of heaven. You've got to have that sweet fragrance. So I was listening to a very um, young and, and dynamic uh, speaker the other day. He's got a big church in uh, Wolverhampton called All Nations. His name is Steve Apple. He's got a real heart for revival. And he just told me this story. And you know sometimes you hear a story and it just clicks. So he was going to the gym with his wife. Got a very nice wife. He's quite young. He's quite fit. He's quite active. And then this kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but this particularly good-looking woman comes into the gym. He's probably in her gym, you know, probably a bit, you know, not overly well-dressed. And Steve feels his head just going, head turning. And his wife says to him, Steve, you want to be looking at me. Steve, you want to be looking at me. This is what Jesus says to his church. Church, you want to be looking at me. Yeah? Church, you want to be looking at me. And the reason that is so important is because everything else is worthless. You want to look this way, church, because we so easily turn I'm sure every person in the room knew what Steve was talking about. Very humble of him to say it. 
but it stuck a chord with me because the history of God's people in the Old Testament is exactly that. The history of God's people in the Old Testament generally is their head turns. Jeremiah spoke to Israel and he says, you're a turning people. He uses the word turn 14 times in one chapter. He says, you're turning people. Then he said, Israel, if you will turn, turn to me. Return, O faithless Israel, turn to me. And he said, my people have committed two sins. This is Jeremiah 2.13. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've dug out for themselves cisterns, that's great cylinders of water that can't hold water because they're cracked. And if you know the history of Israel or the geography of Israel, it's a land of hills and valleys. It's a land of pasture. It's a land that's designed for the rain to fall on it from heaven. It's not a land of irrigation. It's not a land of foot pumps, irrigation, like Egypt was. So Egypt is a a land that's irrigated from the Nile. And you have to design systems to get the water from the Nile, and you pump your feet, you get the water out. Israel is a land where the rain has to come down from heaven. And if you're blessed and you have a piece of territory that has a spring in it, then you, you have got everything. So do you remember Caleb's daughter, what she said when her father asked her what inheritance? And he said, she said, give me also springs of water. Give me land where the springs. Yeah? And what did Israel do? Jeremiah says, my people have forsaken me. They have turned from me the fountain of a spring of water. And what they wanted to do was dig out for themselves like irrigation pits like they have in Egypt just to hold the water. But the thing is that these crack and then they become empty. But what our God is, he's a spring of living water. So you want to look this way. Church, you want to look this way. Always look this way. Turn to me. So, this is a key, key role in ministry. It's keeping Jesus central. It's keeping our freshness and relationship to the Holy Spirit the, the number one thing. And we know how easy it is to turn our heads away. Steve, you want to be looking this way. Church. You want to be looking this way. So, I'm going back to our passage now, but Paul was in prison throughout his life. Anyone thought about how long? Paul Paul maybe ministered for 25 years. How long do you think he was in prison? Anyone thought about, I thought about this the week. How long was Paul in prison? How long? Anyone going to give me a guess? No, I think less than 10 years. I think he was in prison between like five and six years maybe. That's 20% of your time. And this last year, he spent two years in Caesarea in prison. Book of Acts tells us that. Then he was two years in house arrest in Rome. So that's at least four. So I kind of rounded it up to five or six. And that's pretty tough when you're called for, with a mission, isn't it? 
And although sometimes were easier than others, what was really hard um, was the conditions were often dire, weren't they? You know, how, how many people just love to feel the wind on their faces? How many people just love to see the trees and, 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 and all the stuff going on around? And just for a minute, just for a minute, put yourself in Paul's shoes. You're in prison. And we know that those conditions were terrible, all right? Have you put yourself in his shoes? Just for a minute, think about it. Okay, you can't. Okay, try again. Think about it, because this is the way to understand Scripture. Think about what it was like for Paul to be in prison. Yeah, things were, there was no liberty to go for a walk. You were, most of the time, you were chained to a soldier. You were inhibited. There was no freedom. There was nothing to do. You had no choices, and you kept hearing reports of things going wrong in some of the churches you'd planted. You must have been, must have been pretty frustrating, wasn't it? Because you can't go and visit them. So, you're Paul right now. What are you thinking? Get me out of here. Okay. What's your mental state? What's your mindset? What are you struggling with? What's the most thing top of your mind? You hadn't really had a gift from a church for a number of months or even years. So you're kind of thinking, where's the appreciation? Where's the support? Do you think you might become slightly bitter or maybe even resentful? What are you struggling with? So there's a real test here. Either I'm going to get stuck or I'm going to find Christ. And learning is a major part of pastoral ministry. What are you learning, really learning? What is it that's becoming you right now? What's that about? Life isn't just about getting through that problem. It's about acquiring, sharing in Jesus, acquiring his character. So, Paul opens his heart right here in this letter in the most incredible way. He says in this passage, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. So when you're learning, you don't necessarily finish where you start. And that's the obvious thing, isn't it? So all of us, immediately something goes wrong. We don't, we, we're not about to condemn ourselves and think how rubbish I am. But there's an opportunity to learn. Now, a little bit of... Um, I know my friends, Mark and Letty, here, and they've been studying Greek. But a word um, of something learnt is mathema, from which we get the word mathematics, which means something that I've learnt. And the word for disciple in the Greek, is mathetes. It's someone that's learning. All right? Are we disciples? So we're learning. So Paul is in prison, the place you don't get to choose. But he realizes he has choices. I spoke to a person that had been in prison yesterday for some while, and, and it's that lack of choice that's really the lack of freedom. But Paul recognizes he has a choice. He can choose his mindset. He can think on praiseworthy things. What has he just said? Whatsoever things are lovely, whichever things are pure, that whatsoever things are, 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 um, are full of good report. Think about those things. So Paul is writing that from a prison saying, I can choose what I think about. 
He, re- he realizes the word of God is not imprisoned, as he wrote to the Thessalonians. He realizes his mind is not imprisoned, neither is his spirit. And he learns that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is his greatest need. So he says these words. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or, in, or are hungry. So, and then he says the reason he can do it, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me strength. So, Christ is sufficient for every situation. That's a real statement of faith, isn't it? Christ is my sufficiency. So the first thing I wanted to say was to keep Jesus second, central. The second thing I wanted to say was keep learning. He is sufficient for us. And Paul's learning point in prison was contentment. A place of rest, satisfied, happy even. He learned that through Christ he could be content with much or little. What a place of victory. What a place of freedom. He got absolute victory in prison. Absolute freedom, even though he was in prison. Because he learnt the secret of being content. You might think of someone that wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, was at least talking about walking on water. Or feeding 5,000 people. Or healing thousands and thousands of people. But no, Paul was saying, I can do things through Christ. I can be content through Christ. I can be at peace through Christ. And what he's talking about is developing this character. The focus is not on what you're not, what you don't have. The focus is on who you are. So we're not parking the bus as a victim of our circumstances. Yeah? But we're learning what it is to be his in every situation in life. So Paul had to learn what it was to be an apostle in prison, to be a disciple in prison, to be a child of God in prison. And he learned it. I don't believe he started there. I don't believe he picked up the manual. But he learned the secret, the key of what it was to know Christ in that circumstance. So it's about developing godly characteristics which is heaven's gold dust. So, just wanted to say, you know, what is, what is it that you're facing and you're, is challenging you right now? Could I just ask you that question? I don't want you to answer it. I just want you to maybe just shut your eyes for a second and say, what is challenging me right now? Okay? And I just want you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you can change in me through your strength that will actually change the way I'm thinking about this situation? How can my attitude change? Just pause there for a moment and then just pray, I can do all things through Christ.
that strengthens me. So Paul doesn't say how long it took him to acquire this contentment, but it was a great freedom for him. And we rarely hold up contentment or rest or satisfaction in Jesus as being a key virtue. But Paul wrote to Timothy saying, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So Jesus is our sufficiency. So we neither have a prosperity gospel nor do we have a poverty gospel. We have the gospel and the gospel is this that Christ is our sufficiency Christ is sufficient for every situation and Paul kind of teaches this throughout this letter he says celebrate Jesus rejoice in the Lord always what are you rejoicing in you're rejoicing in who he is you're not rejoicing uh, in that sense of who you are you're rejoicing in who he is And Paul saw the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in him as his contentment. And he was celebrating who Jesus was. It would be agony to be in prison for six or 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 more years if you were just so frustrated. But he kind of found Christ in that situation. So the third point, that's the sufficiency of Jesus. The first point was keep him central. The second point, he is sufficient. But the third point is, is about giving and receiving. So he he says, I write to you about uh, giving and receiving. And he says, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And um, so in ministry, there needs to be giving and receiving. You can't, if, if, if I give and you don't receive, that's not ministry. There has to be a connection. We don't serve for the sake of it. We serve people and people receive and they're blessed. And so there's a, there's a giving and a receiving. So it's about finding heaven's store and sharing that and distributing it and then people benefiting from that and then they share from heaven's store. And uh, so we don't minister out of our own sufficiency or of our own strength. We minister out of something we've found in God. Yeah? It's like finding the mushrooms and telling people where they are. That's a Romanian story, but I won't tell you about it now. It's about finding something that's so good that you're, you're telling somebody else where it is. So, the giving and receiving has at its heart a sharing in the gospel. So, Paul says about the gospel in this letter that we are partners in the gospel, we walk worthy of the gospel, we strive as one man for the faith of the gospel, we are acquainted with the gospel, so we keep the gospel central, which is God's heart for the world and what Jesus has done to win the world. So Epaphroditus was, was a minister. He carried the gift. He risked his life. They gave financially. They were invested in the work of God, which needs money. So giving connects us to the work of God because we are stewards of what God gives us and, and we invest in it and we're honoring him by giving money to his work. We become partners with him. And they became partners with Paul in the gospel. But giving doesn't just involve money. It involves time. It involves the gifts, our abilities, our strength. It often involves a lot of emotion. It involves opening our home with hospitality. It involves application. It involves prayer. 
It involves encouragement. And all employs God's grace. We give what we have received by his grace. So when they gave to Paul, they gave something that they had received. Now, there's sometimes a lot of misunderstanding about grace, which means I don't try. Grace never means that you don't try. Grace means you just don't earn it. Paul, by the grace of God, said, I labor more than them all. I work the hardest, but it's not me, but it's the grace of God that works in me. There's kind of a bit of a, a, bit of a wrong thinking that kind of says, well, it's all God's grace. I don't need to apply myself. But when God's grace begins to stir in your heart, you apply yourself more than ever before because it's the grace of God. It's something incredible that has come from heaven into your life and you don't want to ignore it. You want to apply yourself to it. So we don't strive, which means that we sort of agitate to do something and put ourselves under incredible pressure, but we do apply ourselves. So grace doesn't mean we don't try. It just means we don't earn it. So when we give out of that which God has given to us, it becomes a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It's when we give something that God has already given us, it becomes something incredible. See, God gave them an offering God gave them an altar to place an offering to have a fragrant aroma. And what they were giving back to God was what God had already given them. So when we minister, when we share, we're only giving out of that which God has given us. And it becomes a fragrant offering, an acceptable aroma. And when we give out, God always gives back. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So my third and final point is that what God requires, he provides. God produces what he requires. What we have, we received. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, what do you have that you haven't received? Maybe I could just ask you that quick question. What do you have that you haven't received? And the simple answer is, Nothing. He said to the Timothy, he said, when you were born, you didn't bring anything into the world. And when you die, you can't take anything with you either. So what have you got that you didn't receive? And what we have, we have received. So we give it to God because it's God's anyway. And what happens when we give it to God because it is anyway, it says to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's the end of that incredible letter. And let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for the transparency of the Apostle Paul in this last passage of Philippians that he says with great humility, doesn't he? He says, I have learnt. I have learnt. And Lord, may that be our testimony today or when we stand before your presence, I have learnt. I have learnt. 
And maybe the Holy Spirit would just be speaking into your heart what it is you're learning. Be listening, be journaling, be writing what God is speaking, what God is doing in your life. Because we are God's work in progress. He that's begun the good work in us is performing it to the day of Christ. I have learned. And Paul, for him, it was, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. And Lord, contentment is such a great gain. Help us, Lord, to be content in you, that you are our sufficiency, that you are our hope, that you are our all in all. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the riches of Jesus, I pray. Open our eyes to see that we want to turn your way. We want to fix our eyes on you. You are the fountain of living water. You are the only one that satisfies our thirst. Pour out your spirit, Lord, right now upon each one of us, Lord. Could you just be in a position of receiving just for a few minutes as I just for a few moments as I close? Holy Spirit, would you just pour out that living water right now? We don't want to be a people that forsake the fountain of living water and dig out something for themselves. Holy Spirit, come and pour out your heart and life. Cause us to fall in love again with Jesus. Cause us to appreciate him. Cause us to know him. Cause us to keep him the center focus. We love you, God. Help us to learn. I have learned. And I am learning that you are my sufficiency. Even if I'm in this situation and you can fill the dots in, even I'm alone, you're my sufficiency. Even though I'm weak, you're my sufficiency. Even though I'm not sure what the next stage of my journey is, you're my sufficiency. You, Christ, are my sufficiency. You are sufficient for every situation. Just receive it from him this morning. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever.